0: and judgment on them. And this section of Isaiah was intended for God's people as they had been exiled to another nation. So no longer are they living in Israel. No longer are they living in the promised land. No longer do they have the temple in their midst where they would meet God. No longer is there a king over them. So the place of God's presence is gone. The the land, the place of God's provision, is gone. The king, the place the one of God's protection, is gone, and they're in this foreign country and they're discouraged and they're distraught, and they're wondering what's happened? What's going on? In our rebellion and sin, we've lost the land and the temple and our king. And we're under this foreign power, this great kingdom, the kingdom of Babylonia, of Babylon, is ruling over this. This is godless. This godless, brutal kingdom now has taken us into exile. It seems as if God has lost. Where is God? All we see is the glory of man. All we see is Babylon. And see ourselves subjected to Babylon. God, His temple, is no longer our place of worship. The land He promised is no longer the place of provision. The King is no longer over us. And so the beginning of Isaiah... God says through Isaiah, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. God wants to comfort His people in the place of their trial. He wants to comfort His people as they feel that God, in a sense, is where have you gone? God has lost and the glory of man has won out. He speaks comfort to them in this context. To the the nation, the people of Israel in Babylon. And if you know the background of 1 Peter, really, Peter's readers are in much the same place, aren't they? They live in Asia Minor. They live under an empire. What was the name of that empire? The Roman Empire, right? And so this Roman Empire rules over them. This empire that is essentially godless and often cruel rules over them. They are strangers in a strange land. They are... They're in and under Rome. And they need comfort as well. They see the glory of man around them in the Roman Empire, and yet they know they're foreigners. They belong to God. Where is God? Where is God in all this? In our trial, in our our struggle. Where is God? And so Peter, knowing Isaiah, knowing the Word of God, knowing its truth, and knowing the situation of his people, accesses Isaiah 40 and brings that truth to them. And in many ways, it applies to them more fully than it did even to Israel. And so He brings His truth about the glory of man. He contrasts the glory of man with the glory of God. That is how He's bringing comfort to them. He's speaking about the glory of man and He's comparing it to the glory of the Lord. And so He says there, and Isaiah says, God says, "...through Him all flesh is like grass." in all its glory, like the flower of grass. All you see around you folks, this Roman Empire, this Babylonian Empire, it's all like grass. It's all like the flowers of grass. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. God actually acknowledges that there is a glory. There is a, there is a something of weight to the glory of man. There is something about the Babylonian Empire. There is something about the Roman Empire. There is something about the world that is glorious, and he compares it to like flowers. Flowers are beautiful, aren't they? They, they spring up. They're attractive. They're great to look at, and, and they capture your attention. I'm I I'm actually looking forward to spring as it kind of springs on us a little bit right now. And I don't know if you guys are like me, but uh, that I look for the crocuses to, to spring up. And uh, we have them in our front yard. I think we had them a couple weeks ago. And then the snow covered them up. Thank God for crocuses that, that do what they do. They can endure the snow. They spring up. And I know pretty soon after that we'll follow these other flowers. Peg has planted all these flowers in the front. And uh, I think tulips will come up. Tulips come up in the spring, right? <coughs> tulips come up. And, and then these other flowers that have long, hard names that I don't know and can't remember. It's kind of like art. I don't know much about art. I know what I like. And I know... When the flowers look good, there's like things called like chrysanthemums. and Is that right? And uh, <laughs> for, for Scythias, those are the bushes, right? And then there's, uh, what is the other one? Hydrangeas? Do hydrangeas come up in our garden? Good. I'm doing good. I'll stop there. <laughs> I don't remember the names. But they are glorious. They're enjoyable. But they don't last a whole long, do they? They don't last very long. Tulips are beautiful. How long do tulips last? <laughs> if the rabbits don't nibble on them. A couple weeks, something like that. And then they're gone. As beautiful as they are, as glorious as spring is, it passes. It's gone. It's a fragile glory. It's a fleeting glory. There is a glory there, but it is fleeting. And Then they're gone. That's what the glory of man is like. It springs forth. It looks great. It, it attracts you. You say, wow, that's great. But then, it's gone. A couple weeks, then it's gone. No more flour. That's like the glory of man. God wants us to understand that. He wants, he wants His people of Israel to understand that. He wants the readers, Peter's addressing, to understand that. He wants us to understand that. Part of how we understand how to live the Christian life is recognizing that the glory of man is fleeting and Passing. That the structures and power structures and the systems of the world that come from man are fleeting. They're like the flowers of grass that spring up and then they're gone. Babylon was a great nation. Babylon was an amazing nation. It was actually, at the time, Israel was exiled to Babylon. It was, it was probably the greatest empire that had ever been, ever been on the earth. I think we have a slide of Babylon to show. It was a fantastic city, and empire. The city itself had uh, 56 miles of walls around it. It was three walls were 300 feet high, 25 feet thick. It went 35 feet underground. There were towers 450 feet high or so, a deep moat around it. The Euphrates River actually went through the city and the famed hanging gardens were there in the city. Uh, they were the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. These hanging gardens. I don't know if the picture shows it, but... These gardens that I think was it Nebuchadnezzar made for his wife because she was from a, a more uh, a fertile area, and so he made these giant hanging gardens, multi-tiered gardens, and had pumps to pump it up. And it was just an amazing city. It was humongous. It was glorious. There were golden statues throughout. It, it really was just the, the wonder of the ancient world. It was the greatest empire that had existed till that point. It was the glory of man. It was flowers in the springtime. It was impressive. Yet it was short-lived. Today, that's really all that exists. Actually, they're rebuilding it, but in 1930s or so, before they started that, it was just a heap of rubble. Matter of fact, I believe in history, they people doubted it ever existed. Though it was in the Bible, they doubted it because there weren't there were no remains of this great city. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Rome. In Peter's day, Rome was the glory of man. It was the greatest kingdom that had ever existed up to that point. Even greater than Babylon. It spanned 2.5 million square miles. A population of about 60 million people at the day. That was about 20% of the population of the world was in the Roman Empire. That would be the equivalent of 1.5 billion people today. That's bigger than China. We're under the Roman Empire. Rome itself housed millions of people. Its presence militarily, culturally, and spiritually was felt throughout much of the ancient world. Yet we know Rome, too, has passed. All we have are remnants. All flesh is like grass in all its glory. Like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. We can think about other applications for us, maybe more present What's the, some examples of the glory of man nowadays? And these things aren't necessarily bad. I'm not, not saying that there's, I think we don't want to misunderstand that. But what are some of the things of the glory of man? Some sports figures, Hollywood, Hollywood actors, right? What are some of the glorious Hollywood actors, the ones that are considered the glory of man nowadays? People like Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Hugh Jackman, Reese Witherspoon. There's others you probably know about, depending on what sort of genre of mu- movie you like. But they're all famous. What about the actresses and actors of a generation ago? Catherine Hepburn, John Wayne, Doris Day, Jimmy Stewart. They're all old or gone. These great, famous people of a generation or so ago are gone. They're not famous, they're not as good looking as they used to be. All flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. And not only for movie stars, but the reality is for you and for me, it's the same way. The glory of man passes. There's a picture of me, I've told some of you this before, of when I was 19. And it was hanging on the fridge. Peg has it. And, uh, and, And it was on the fridge, and my daughter Mary went up to it and said, Who's that? I don't look like I did when I was 19. I'm not as strong as I was when I was 19. I'm certainly not as fast as I was when I was 19. I was really fast, by the way. <laughs> um, and just the other day, I was, I'm doing some art lessons to, to uh, just as a thing to enjoy, uh, recreating in the Lord. And uh, one of the exercises was to do a self-portrait. And so I had to look in a mirror up close. And it was a very scary experience for me. For all of us. Those things happen. We get older. The glory of youth and so forth passes. It's fleeting. It's quick. All flesh is like grass. And it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Really, everything that's of man will pass over the long haul doesn't mean it's bad necessarily, but it is fleeting. And our best, apart from God, is actually bad. And it passes. Yet, there's more to the story, isn't there, in this section here and in the Scripture. There's this reality of, of the grass that withers and the flower that falls and the glory of man that passes, yet there's an enduring glory that outlasts all these other things. There is something that remains. There is something that abides. There is something that is truly glorious. And so Isaiah finishes and Peter finishes with, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter is grounding the people of God in this enduring glory of the good news that all these other things, Rome, Babylon, you and your youthfulness, those things will pass. But the Word of God will endure forever and this is the Word, the good news that was preached to you and now is in you creating life and love and leading you in the purposes of God that will last forever. There is something that remains. There is something that is an enduring glory. And Peter's calling us to this thing. Don't let the glory of man discourage you. Don't let the fleetingness of life dishearten you. There is something that lasts forever. And it's the good news. And it's been preached to you. And it abides in you. And there's life in you. Eternal life. Now, Peter uses Isaiah here. And in Scripture, when the New Testament authors, and for that matter, the Old Testament authors, when they quote a Scripture, they are assuming the context. These guys knew their Bibles. And they're not proof texting. They're not just taking two verses out of Isaiah and put them right into 1 Peter. They're actually putting key verses there and they're assuming the context. And for many of their readers, not necessarily all of them, but many of their readers would have known the Old Testament as well. And when they read these two verses from Isaiah, they would have been thinking Isaiah 40, the entire chapter. They actually probably would have been thinking the whole book of Isaiah. So let's just take a minute, not to go through the whole book of Isaiah, but just to visit Isaiah 40. Just to look at that. And if, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Again, I apologize it's not up on the screen. You can just listen if not. But listen just to some more surrounding context. And I want you to listen to this. And I want you to think about what Peter's saying. Peter's talking about the good news. He's talking about the glory that endures forever. And we know, we know we've know, we read more of the story, we know the good news is ultimately Jesus Christ. The truth, the person of Jesus Christ. So as we read Isaiah 40, just think in terms of that and listen for those things. And what... What I think will happen as we see this is we the picture of what Peter is bringing will kind of fill itself out. So listen. Starting in verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed." and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. This is our verse. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, Herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. What's Isaiah talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Gospel. And did you hear in the beginning of that a familiar verse? Straight in the desert, a highway for a God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places, a plain. Do you remember that? Have you seen that in your Bible? Who's it talking about there? John the Baptist, right? That, that verse is applied to John the Baptist in all four Gospels. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord. But to prepare the way for what? The next verse. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so in speaking of the grass that withers, the flower that falls, and the Word that remains forever, what is that Word ultimately? Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. His, His, His life, His death, His resurrection. The Person of Christ who is the living Word. And so this section ends with The call to proclaim the good news throughout Israel and by implication we know throughout the world that people might see and know this glory that lasts Jesus Christ. He is this glorious, enduring Word. Yes, the entirety of the Bible is the Word of God indeed. But the center of the Bible is Jesus Christ. The Bible is a story that fits together. We must never take the Bible in proof text. Take a text and put it over here out of context. It goes together. It's a story. And the center of the story is Jesus. God is the author. Jesus is the protagonist, the ultimate hero in Scripture. So when it says the Word of the Lord, it just doesn't mean a verse in Proverbs taken out of context. It means... The entirety of the Word with the center of the Word being Christ Himself who is the fulfillment of the whole Word. So Peter's talking about that. Isaiah's talking about that. The Scripture's talking about it. It is Jesus Christ who is the enduring, glorious Word of God. And in particular, the good news of Christ and His death and resurrection and the implications that go with that. There is so much that goes with the good news. This word that's enduring, this truth about Christ, this reality of Christ and His righteous life, His death on the cross for sins, His resurrection—that core truth—with it comes just so many things, and there's just no way, there's no way in one sitting to start to even to begin to talk about the impact of this enduring good news. It takes more than one sitting; it really takes more than an infinite amount of sittings to really address the entirety of the good news. So much comes with it. But the core of the message is simple and straightforward. This isn't a complicated thing. God knows us. He knows we're simple and we need simple truths and simple messages. And so the core of the message is very straightforward. All that comes with it is deep and beyond us. We can't fully fathom. We can fathom much, but not fully fathom. But the core is simple. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was fully dead. And He rose again on the third day. That's the core of the good news. And from that flows everything else. From that core truth flows all the other realities that come with it that God has intended. All the other enduring things. All the other glorious things flow out of that, that core message of the Gospel. The Word of God. God's ultimate expression. A word is something you use to express yourself. God's ultimate expression of Himself. His ultimate expression of His glory. This thing that lasts forever is the Gospel. When God wants to communicate who He is and what He's about... His highest and fullest expression is His Son. And in particular, His Son crucified for sins and risen from the dead. That's the core. That's the thing that endures forever. That's the reality. This wonderful Gospel that God the Son, the King, the One who deserves all loyalty, gave up His life on the cross to bear our sins. The sins that we've committed. The things that we have done To disobey God. The the ways that we have fallen short, both in omitting things and committing things, to love God fully and always, which is the only reasonable and right response for His creations. All things, all ways that we've fallen short of that, and, and with that, it goes together. The second commandment is like it's when we haven't loved one another as ourselves, which falls in. We are made in the image of God. To not love one another as ourselves is to not love God. Sin is falling short of that. And in our heart of hearts, though we hate it, hate to face the truth, we all must know that we have fallen short. We have disobeyed. We have not done what is right and good and loving. That's sin. And God is good. He's not a fool. He's not, a, he's not just a, an old granddaddy that doesn't know what's going on and just going to sweep things on the rug. He is perfect and wise and good. And He must deal with sin justly and rightly. Otherwise, He's unjust. He can't do that. And so in his great love and in his great wisdom and in his glory of who he is, in the depths of his love with that are unfathomable, in the perfections of his wisdom, and the in the fullness of his wisdom He's, in his justice, he has said he has sent his son to die on the cross, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and receive his love, be reconciled to him. So Christ died for our sins and He rose again victorious over sin and death. This is the most amazing and abiding truth in all of history and all the universe. Everything else that's in and of itself, apart from God, apart from this core truth, will pass, will fade. will be like the flowers. The flowers will look good for a little while. Then they'll pass. Babylon passed. Rome passed. Hollywood passes. You and I in our current configuration, apart from God, pass. There's a hope though for the future for those that attach themselves to this enduring word, And that's part of the call here. It's not just to know this stuff. Not just to know, yeah, there is something that lasts. Oh, that's nice. Cool, I'm glad there's something that lasts when everything else fades. No, it's to attach ourselves to that thing. Because the enduring one, God is a merciful and gracious God. And in sending the Son, He didn't just do it to, to, to show that there's an eternal thing, though He did to show His glory, to demonstrate, to express who He, who he is. But with that, wrapped up in that, is, is His love for His people, is His call to all people to attach themselves to the only thing that truly lasts. To find their life in Christ Jesus crucified and risen and reigning. To find your identity in that place. To find your strength and your love and your ability to function as a human being in God's image in His love, in His perfections, in His righteousness, in His love for you. And then from that place to walk in His grace, to accomplish His purposes and to be like Him. He wants us, He calls us to attach ourselves to Him. And that's what Peter is is more or less doing here in the whole book. He's ministering to people that are called, he calls them elect exiles. They're struggling with life. And, and very simply what Peter is doing is he's wanting people, both individually and corporately, to attach themselves to this enduring word. That, to sum up 1 Peter, in, in some ways that's what it is. He's wanting us to attach ourselves to that which is not fleeting, that which lasts forever, to the Gospel, to Jesus Christ. And in that attachment... And in, in, the, in the things that come with that is the ability to live as elect exiles. Is the ability to accomplish His purposes. Is the ability to reflect His likeness and to find life. So that's what Peter's doing. And so last week he, we saw how he was saying it's because of this enduring Word in you that you can now love. And you are called now to love. To walk this out. And really every other aspect of First Peter can be boiled down in those ways. You can go through the whole book and we're going to go through the whole book and see how he does that. but let me just kind of let me just kind of put, frame it in a certain way. Uh, the gospel, this enduring word endures forever and is glorious and addresses every aspect of life. Every question of humanity, every need, basic fundamental need of life flows from this truth. So we could we could frame life and the struggles of life perhaps in three questions and and you can put these up there, Brennan. There's three questions. Who am I? Who am I? What am I about? What does it mean to exist, to be human? Who am I? And then from that, well, how should I live? How do I live? What's life about? How do I live? And then what is my purpose? What is the, the point of who I am and how I live? What's, what's trying to be accomplished? These are the questions of life. And really, everybody has these. And I, and I believe it's accurate to say life is really for us about answering these questions. We are made in God's image. We need answers to these sort of things. We're made for answers in God. And so life is about answering these questions. And apart from God, we try to answer these questions. Really, the, the, the world, the world system, and not, not, I don't mean the world in every aspect, but the world system that tries to find life apart from God our flesh, our sinful nature apart from God, and the devil himself all have answers for these three questions. What are some of those answers? Who am I? Well, think up one. Who am I? I am, I am a rich person. That's who I am. I have money. I'm a rich person. I'm, I'm not, by the way, but who am I? Well, comparably, I think I am, aren't I, as an American. How should I live? Well, I'm a rich person. How should I live? I live to get money. That's what I live for, to get money. What is my purpose? To be a rich person. (laughs) So it kind of circles back. I'm actually, my purpose trying to establish who I am, aren't I? And it's a circle. And it's a struggle. And it doesn't work. And you can apply it to the other things. It can be, I am, who am I? I am a popular person. How should I live? I should live to make people happy. Where's my purpose? Well, to feel good about myself is because I'm popular. I'm trying to establish who I am and my purpose. It just goes, and it doesn't work. And those, and those systems, they may work for a little bit. That's part of the danger of them, isn't it? We can kind of feel good and feel like we do have a purpose and so forth. But it's a, it's a circle. It's broken. And there's all levels of brokenness in this world as we try to address these fundamental questions apart from Scripture. Peter brings the truth of the gospel to bear on all these three questions, and you could divide up Peter this way. So who am I? We have some slides for that, you can put that. Who am I? These are just some things taken from Peter. And I encourage you to do this exercise and maybe go through the whole book. These are just some of the verses. Who am I, according to the gospel, according to Peter, the book of First Peter, I'm an elect exile, chosen of God, sanctified by the spirit, cleansed by the blood of Christ. A recipient of grace, unearned favor and goodness of God, planned from eternity. I'm born again, an heir of eternal life, loved by God. I'm a living stone, chosen of God, a holy priesthood, a people for His own possession, recipients of mercy, beloved of God. Those are just different verses there at the bottom. This is who I am. And this is established in the Gospel. This is because Christ has come and poured out grace and mercy through His life and death and resurrection. And if you are a believer, if you've chosen not to put your hope in that which is fleeting, but to rest in that which is eternal, this is yours too. This is who you are. This is established. And now you can start to answer the other questions because if you can't rightly answer that question, you're going to be trying to find the answer in the other things to this fundamental question. But now, because you are established in Christ by His grace and mercy, you can go to the next question. How should I live? Now, how should I live? For God's praises. In hope, holy for God, eyes on heaven and God, following Christ's example as a servant, loving others, living through trials. These are the ways that now I am called to live. It teaches me the implications of the gospel. The truth of the gospel leads me forward in how to live. Really, if you could sum up the first one, who am I? You can say, I'm a son or daughter. I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm loved. I'm established in Him. Not because of my own merit, because of His mercy. I'm a son. And the second level is how should I live? I should live as a servant. Now that I have been so loved, I am to love others and to live for God's glory and to bless others. That's how I live. And the final one, what is my purpose? The glory of God. To love others as stewards of God's grace for the kingdom purposes. So what is my purpose? Well, God has called me to live in a certain way. He's given me grace to accomplish His purposes. Each of us have grace gifts from God to accomplish his kingdom purposes in and through our lives. He's working in us and through us to accomplish his purposes. And that's just from the book of 1st Peter. All those answers are there in the book of 1st Peter. All those answers flow from that core, that enduring glorious word of the gospel and work its way out in our lives to answer these questions. That's what Peter is calling us to. And you can go to the final one, Brendan. The good news of Jesus Christ and all its ramifications addresses these questions and more. Who am I? How shall I live? What is my purpose? And I would submit that for us as Christians, our maturity in Christ, our stability in Christ is really a direct function of whether or not we're answering these questions with the Gospel, with the Word of God, or with something else. I would submit that, that your angst and your struggle and your failures and my failures and my angst and my struggle come from the fundamental lack of addressing who am I, how should I live, what is my purpose from the Gospel. If I'm not answering that from the Gospel, I'm standing on, on falling flowers and fleeting grass. And it doesn't work. And so no wonder when I'm trying to answer these questions and find my identity and live these ways that I get angry and upset and I feel bad and I'm depressed and I struggle and I get angry at others. Because you're not helping me feel good about myself. And that's what you're about. You're here to make me feel good. You're here to help me find my purpose and to live the way I want. And it doesn't work. And so our our maturity in Christ, and Peter really is after this, and and Paul and all of Scripture is after our maturity in Christ by grounding ourselves in that enduring, glorious Word that lasts. That's what He's calling us to. That's what He wants for us. To be a Christian, it's to live according to the truth of the Gospel. The Gospel is not a message just for the first day of your Christian life. It's not just about how you come to know Christ. It's never given that way in Scripture. Otherwise, you've got to kind of scratch your head and say, what is Peter and Paul thinking about? They're always talking about the Gospel. They're always going back to Jesus Christ crucified and risen. I mean, come on! We already got that down. Let's move on. They don't do that, do they? They bring it back again and again and again. And and they start to show us how to live out every aspect of life according to that Gospel. I mean every aspect. Now, it doesn't tell us how to change our oil, right? Scripture doesn't say that. If your Bible does, let me know. Um, but mine doesn't. But it does tell me how to change my oil. The gospel comes to bear in that that thing. I can change my oil in many different ways, can't I? I can change my oil angry because this stupid car always has problems and always leaking oil, and I'm so tired of it, and oil's getting more expensive, and, and why can't I? Why can't I just afford to go to Jiffy Lube? But then when I go to Jiffy Lube, always, they always want to sell me that other stuff and I'm so sick and tired of changing oil and I get oil on the ground and this is terrible. I want, I'm done with oil! Or I can be, Lord, oil is really cool. You've forgiven me of all my sins and you call me to fellowship with You. You're a living God who's made all things. You made oil somehow. You somehow ordained that organic stuff would get smushed and turned into this. And I don't know how it is, but here we have it. And I can put it in my car and my car works and I can drive my car around and see Your creation and, and bless people and I can go to church on Sunday and I, can, and I can do outreach with my car. This is great. I love changing oil. <laughs> every aspect of life is affected by this enduring, glorious Word. And maturity in Christ is to simply apply it in every aspect of life. To simply moment by moment, day by day, thought by thought, as Chris said, remember. Come back to this enduring word, And see how it affects everything. And see how it makes us able to live according to God. S- secure in Him. Living like Him and for Him. Loving Him and others. That's what Peter is calling us to. That's what this passage is about. That is the call. And if the band could come up as we close. That is the call of verses 24 In 25, we have a choice moment by moment, day by day, week by week, lifetime by lifetime. Are we going to stand on that which is fading? That which is fleeting? That which doesn't work? Or are we going to stand on that which endures forever, that's glorious and eternal and makes all the difference? That's the call of Peter. And it's my prayer that all of us, by grace, would say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want to build my life this week on Your eternal glorious Word on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank You so much. Lord, uh, just thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of the Gospel. Thank You for the love You have given us in Christ. The life of Christ. His perfections. His glory. His greatness. His sufficiency. Your nearness nearness to us through Him. Thank You for Your wondrous grace. And Lord, forgive us, forgive me for the many times that I have not lived in accordance with the Gospel. Even this week. Lord, we, we heard earlier about binding our wandering hearts to You, Lord. Our hearts wander. We constantly are tempted to build our lives on that which is fleeting, and foolish. Lord, would You help us to build on the eternal Gospel. And through this eternal Gospel as a seed in us, filling us up and flowing through us, Lord, would we love You and love others and glorify Your name and accomplish Your eternal purposes. Make us a people after the image of Christ by the good news of Jesus Christ, we pray. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Let me stand. As we consider the nature of, um, of Christ and of the Word, uh, the truths that we stake our lives upon and our own fleeting lives, we sing about God's love which endures forever.